You may be seated. Thank you. Yeah, I did not get gifted with that gift. Man, what's the deal? You know, the Bible says that uh, if you, you know, there's those that have all these gifts and talents, and, and if you're the one that's using it and others are not using it, that, you know, that he's, God's going to give you their talent and gift. Well, I've been praying for that for years on Spanish, and it, it hasn't fallen on me yet. But, you know, one of these days, maybe, I'll, maybe I'm just going to have to work for that. I'm going to have to put the, put the work in. Amen? Well, turn to your neighbor right now before we get started in the Word and just tell them how absolutely blessed that you are that you, you are to have them here. And tell them how cute they are. Go ahead. Just go right on ahead. All right. I hear a lot of laughter out there. Does that mean that uh, you're, you're telling each other crazy things? Amen. God is so good. Oh, worship today was just washing my soul. I don't know about anybody else. I was bawling up here, just enjoying the presence of God. Amen. He is so good to us. Uh, this morning I was sitting, um, uh, eating my breakfast, and we have the joy and the privilege right now to be living at my daughter's house in the basement. Hallelujah. That's a whole nother story in and of itself. And I won't bore you with that today, but just suffice to say that the wolves have uh, moved out of their home and they're getting ready to move into their new home. Amen. Uh, but in the meantime, we are in the basement of the Matsons, and uh, they have a beautiful view of Mount Rainier. Uh, yeah, so hey, listen, as long as I'm there, I'm going to take advantage. So I'm sitting there, and I'm eating my breakfast, and I'm looking out there at that mountain, and I'm just, the glory of that mountain is just amazing. And looking at that mountain, I'm like, you know, I, I kind of know Mount Rainier. Mount Rainier's my mountain. You know, do you ever feel like that? It's my mountain. It's mine. Uh, and, uh, but I really, you know, Mount Rainier's huge. It's massive. It is huge, and there's nooks and crannies of Mount Rainier that I have yet to discover, amen? Because it's kind of like, how can you ever see the whole place, right? How can you ever see the whole thing? And, and I was thinking about the Lord, you know, obviously, and uh, praying and the spirit for today and the word that, that he has for you here today. And, and I, it just kind of dropped in my heart that, you know, the mystery of God is so amazing. And I know I've said this before, but God is so big. He's so big. And, you know, we try so hard to understand him and to pack him into our little tiny brain. We work so hard and we want to know him and but you know I've, and I've given this this uh, likening before in that you know trying to squeeze God into my brain is kind of like trying to shove Mount Rainier into a pillowcase it's just not going to happen because he's so vast and uh, so today, though, uh, I'm hoping to kind of open up and, and gaze at, at God's character, a certain, just a certain glimpse of him, just a certain, like if we were to go and camp in just a little tiny nook or cranny of, of Mount Rainier, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to camp and uh, just explore just a small little piece of who God is. And you know, God is amazing. He can be many things at once. Everybody say many things at once. And sometimes those things seem like they're opposites. And we, in our little finite brains, in our little world, we cannot figure out how to do two different things at the same time, even if they seem like they oppose each other, but God is incredibly able. And so today, as we are going to bring the word together, I just want to just kind of open that thought process up to you, because what I'm going to bring to you today uh, has opposites involved in it. And we have so hard time, we have such a hard time, we, we're going to be one thing or we're the other thing. But God is both. And he does it graciously and he does it perfectly. Amen? So today, I want you to open up your book, your Bible, or turn it on <laughs> to Matthew 5. We're going to uh, come back to our Red Letter Revival. We had a wonderful Sunday last week with Jim Anderson and, um, and that kind of thing. So we kind of strayed away a little bit from our, our concentration on the Red Letters, but everything he had to say was of God. Amen. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to pick right back up where we left off. Uh, Zach gave us a couple of weeks there of, of the different Beatitudes and that kind of thing. But Jesus, Jesus' words, he is the word made flesh, as Dwayne had uh, alluded to earlier. He is God's message to us. And what we hear and what we read in the red letters is God writing and speaking and acting 
to us uh, out of his character. And uh, when we take time to focus on those red letters, that's when, when things really go upside down. Amen? In a good way. So let's read uh, Matthew 5. We're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to go ahead and read through this first section here. Once again, we've been, we've been preaching out of this for a while, and it's so good. I don't know. So verse 1, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a, what a passage. And, and then, you know, the chapter goes on through uh, actually a couple of chapters, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. There was a group of people in the 1600s, and uh, they gathered together uh, as wor to worship. They were called the Pietists. Anybody ever heard of the Pietists? Kind of, you know, I, I just was reading and through my book or whatever, and they were kind of talking about this, and then it caught my eye. Because, so the pietists were in uh, 1600s, mid-1600s, and uh, a, a gentleman by Philip Spencer was their pastor, and he had come to, into this church in Germany that used to be really on fire, and he was very shocked to find how unfiery the church had become. And uh, they were just going through the motions. And so he started, can I have that tea? My throat's got a little tickle in it. He started, excuse me, a um, sermon series. And he spent a huge long time on the Sermon on the Mount. And out of that sermon series, on these words that we're reading hundreds of years ago, these very same words, it ignited a revival that burned for many, many years in Germany. And it is said that that revival is the fountainhead of all of our modern revivals. And it started out of the very same words that we get to read here today. It's just so amazing. You know, sometimes we just think we're the only ones that have ever existed and that we're, we're just now discovering the Sermon on the Mount. Absolutely not. These words lit on fire, Germany, and then, you know, beyond. Amen? So... We have hit just about all of those. You know, I have one more little sideline. Can I give you another sideline? This was so exciting because I didn't get to preach on the persecuted part. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Zach did. But I have, um, <coughs> excuse me, my, my throat is just not wanting to uh, agree with me in Jesus' name. But I've got this uh, really fun um, article that I read and I want to just read this to you because this could really, really encourage you about persecution because there's a lot of talk about persecution in, in the Beatitudes. But listen to this. Robert Bruce, a Scottish missionary to Iranian Muslims in the 19th century, so it would be in the 1800s, wrote home to his supporters, I am not reaping the harvest. I scarcely claim to be sowing the seed. I am hardly plowing the soil, but I am gathering out the stones. That too is missionary work. Let it be supported by loving sympathy and fervent prayer. For many years, Iran has been one of the most difficult regions in the world to reach with the gospel. A significant development occurred, however, in 1979 with the Islamic Revolution in Iran. The ruling monarch, Shah somebody, 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 was overthrown. Uh, have mercy on me. And in his place, an Islamic Republic was birthed, led by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Sharia law became the law of the land, and the Muslim clerics became the heads of state. Many in those days believed the revolution would lead to a time of flourishing in Iranian society. The new regime made great promises about rights and economic progress. As Iran was finally free from the influence of the West, the laws of man would be, relate, be replaced by the laws of God, they claimed. Under the Republic, conversion to any other religion was considered apostasy and would be punished with death. And many died. 
As we fear the, or near the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution, however, we see that the prayers of many Christians over the years have been answered, and the climate in Iran is vastly different. The gospel has spread through the land in unprecedented fashion, despite increased persecution to the Christians. And we use the words of the Apostle Paul, a, do a wide door for effective work has opened, and there are many adversaries. As of 1979, there have been, at that point, there was only about 500 known Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. In 2005, it was estimated that there are 40,000 ethnic Iranian Christians, not including the ethnic minority Christians who live in Iran. That number grew to 175,000 Christians in 2010. And according to the Joshua Project, today, the average estimate of Christians living in Iran with a range up to 1 million. The persecuted church brought about so much fruit. It is uh, 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 Operation World, the missions research organization, continues to list Iran as having the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. In fact, more Iranians have become Christian in the last 20 years than in the previous 1,300. I just thought that was cool. Don't fear persecution. Persecution makes us strong and it sends the seeds of revival out. Amen? Okay, so today it's not going to be persecution that I'm talking about. I am going to focus in on our last beatitude, and then we can move on from this. Everybody say, move on. But uh, today we're going to have a good time with this last one. And the last one that we're going to focus on is uh, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was here in Fife, and uh, it came to my attention that my tabs were expired on my car. Anybody ever have that happen to you? You know, it's like that panic moment of trying to drive, covering your uh, license plate while you're driving. You know, you want to tie some kind of shrub on the back of your car so no policeman sees your tabs, right? So I drive straight to the place over here in Fife to, to put to get my tabs, right? So I stand in line and I get up to the counter and lo and behold, they do not take checks. They only take cash. Cash or, no wait. No, they take cash and checks. They don't take a charge card, a credit card. And all I had was a credit card. I was out of checks. And so I'm like, ah, oh. and, and she said, okay, go to the back. There's a, there's a cash machine. So I ran to the back and stuck in my card. And you get that nasty screen sometimes that says, I cannot complete your request. Uh, uh, please try again later. I'm like, later? I have no time later. Just give me my money, right? So I, I had requested $300. What happened to those $39 tabs? What happened to that? Seriously, what happened? So... Oh my, so I don't know. So, so I pull my card out back over here, everybody back to me. I pull my card out and I see across the parking lot, there is another credit or, uh, debit machine. So I run over there, I throw my card in, lo and behold, the screen pops up, unable to fulfill your request at this time, try again later. What? So, okay, I grab my card out, I jump in the car and I drive to a Chase Bank uh, debit machine and a uh, cash machine and thinking because I, I work with you know my bank is chase so I put my card in you know hurry up and it's already a stressful day for me okay people it was just awful sure enough the screen pops up third time unable to fulfill your request uh you know try again later so I pull out my card I drive over here I get a, a check I drive over and I get my my tabs right so I think all is well well later on that day I'm on my uh, I'm trying to figure out what in the world was wrong with my my debit card and I see that one of those transactions they actually debited my account 300 bucks I did not get any 300 dollars I did not get it so I call them up oh okay Mrs. Wolf you know we'll, we'll uh Put it back in your account, and uh, sorry about that, and we'll, we'll see what we can do, right? So you put it back. So then, so that was been like four weeks ago. So this past week, I go on my bank account, and sure enough, they reversed it and went ahead and took it out. $303 this time for, uh, for the fee. Oh, what? So I call them up. I'm on the phone forever, and, and I'm talking to them. You know, I never got that money. Well, ma'am. Uh, the uh, team has found that you actually did, you know, money was dispensed, and so we've taken it from you. No, no, you don't understand. I didn't get it. 
No, ma'am, I'm sorry. Can I please speak to your supervisor? I need help. So I went up the chain, up the chain, up the chain. Finally, I got to the last guy. And uh, hey, you know, I told him my whole story, and he's like, sorry. I'm like, no, you can't do this to me. No, you, you need proof. Well, what kind of proof am I going to give you? I didn't get a receipt back. I didn't take a picture of the screen. I have no proof. Well, ma'am, if you could prove it to me, then oh, I'll give you your $300 back. But sorry, there's, you know, you got your $300. No, I did not give it. So I, I start on this diatribe. You don't understand. I'm a fine, upstanding citizen of America. I've never lied to anybody. I want my money. Give me my money. You know, and then, nope, sorry, ma'am. What? Are you kidding me? Sorry, ma'am. She kept saying, he kept saying that. I'm like, you are not sorry. So then I'm, I'm into, okay, Chase Bank, you are huge. You are multi-million dollar, multi, you guys might even be a billion dollar company. I am a really good customer. You need to come around with this and you need to have mercy on me and you need to do this because, you know, 300 is a big deal to me, but it's nothing to you. And I tried every angle. He's silent on the other side. And then he says, sorry, ma'am. No mercy, no mercy. And then I'm like, can, I need to speak to your supervisor. I am the supervisor. No, you have to have a supervisor. Somebody has to be above you. Sorry, ma'am, nobody's above me, I am it. So, so you're telling me you're God, right? <laughs> so I had to hang up. I had to hang up. And I cannot tell you how I felt. I walked around the house for quite some time going, what just happened? I need mercy here. And they said no to me. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. I need mercy. And that feeling of having nowhere to go no way to rectify it, no way to change, no one to listen to me, no one to understand, no one to say, okay, you're forgiven of that. We'll get it back to you. I mean, I was up against a brick wall and there was no mercy. Mercy is the opposite of our internal makeup. It's not easy to give, yet it's the very thing that we desperately need. Mercy, the word mercy, it means a couple of things. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Mercy is and can be, you know, a, a synonym to it would be compassion or love. Mercy. The opposite of mercy is judgment, justice, and revenge. Mercy. If you were to find yourself in a court of law, you would be facing a judge. And that judge is the one that ultimately decides your fate. And in that courtroom, there's going to also be the presence of laws, rules, regulations, the things that actually define right and wrong, good and bad, evil and, and righteousness. And there you stand, your actions being weighed in the balance and finding, being found wanting. The, the balance, the, 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 both sides of the balance, one side has gone down because now you owe somebody and you're going to have to pay to right the balances again. And at that moment when you're standing there in that courtroom before the judge and, and your story's been told and, and it's obvious that maybe you have done something wrong, what is the very thing that you cry out for at that moment? Do you cry out for justice? Oh, no. Mercy. Mercy. But there's another in that courtroom. The one that was on the other side of your behavior. What are they crying out? Justice. Justice and mercy. The two opposites. Crying out in the courtroom of life. Which is to win out. 
God is the ultimate judge in that courtroom, and his laws are the ultimate line of good and evil, right and wrong, righteous and unrighteous. And he's the ultimate one to mete out justice. In fact, his very throne, the foundation of his throne that he sits on is justice. Justice and righteousness are so vitally important to him. And he has the ultimate power and authority. This is truly the role of, of a God. The Roman and Greek gods constantly responded, responded to human behavior down through the years with harsh judgments. And this would be how human nature would create a God if it were up to us. Keep in mind that humans uh, creating these gods, though they bear the image and likeness of God, they are fallen and the light of, what their, of their soul, God himself, is no longer near enough to dispel misunderstandings and errors. But God, Elohim, the God of the universe... Reaching into humanity, desiring to now begin to unload and, and make his character so known to people. He reaches in and he grabs one man by the name of Abraham and he calls him and he says, will you be mine? And Abraham says yes, and so does his son Isaac, and so does his son Jacob. And God is now beginning to form a people into which he can... Uh, uh, display his character and let him who he is be known and so that his plan of redemption can then become introduced into the world i want to take just a moment to share with you something out of the old testament it's not red letters but we kind of need the backstory amen so i want you to open up your bibles to exodus 20 and as, Jesus, as uh, God is calling this, this group of people, these Israelites out, and wanting them to become a, a group of people, his people, his children, he begins to uh, display who he is, and, and he begins to call them out and, and cause them to understand who he is. And when he does that, he calls them out of Egypt, and they're out in the wilderness, and he takes a moment just then. He brings them up to the uh, Mount Sinai, and he says, I'm going to give you some words that are going to really define who I am. I'm going to give you some commandments, and these laws, these, these ten commandments are going to display to you what my culture is like in my household. And how I want you to live. And so he, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And, and Exodus 20, I want to just read to you just a portion of that. And this will all make sense, okay, in just a moment. So Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's beginning to reveal his character, not only how he acts, but who he is. I am a jealous God. I uh, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love. Now, I don't know what your, your translations have in your Bible. NIV says love, but that word love there is the word kased, and that word kased in the Hebrew is the, is the word for mercy. Mercy, the word mercy can be translated in, in all of our tra different translations, love or compassion. But here, it's the word mercy. So we're going to change this. But showing mercy to a thousand of generations who love me. And that's actually the, truly the word love. And keep my commands. How can a, a God who is coming down the mountain with fire and thunder and all sorts of things, and he's writing these thou shalt nots into tablets of stone, and he's giving law to the people around him, but he immediately identifies himself as a jealous God who's full of mercy. Opposites, law, justice, judgment, mercy so the people and then he goes on and says don't lie don't steal don't do this don't do that 
And the people of Israel all say, okay, we'll do this. This, yes, will you do this? Yes, I will do this. We want to be your people. We want to be your God. You want you to be our God. We want to walk with you. Yes, the people of Israel agree to the covenant and make a covenant with God at that moment. And Moses stays with God for a long time, and, and God downloads more and more about how the Jewish people are going to live their lives from this moment forward, and really setting them apart, making them a very different, a peculiar people in, in the world compared to the others. So for 12 chapters, the next 12 chapters, you're going to read, and we're not going to do it here, don't worry. But for, if you read the next 12 chapters, it's 12 chapters of God telling the Israelites how they need to, now listen, you do this, you do that, yeah, we need you to do that, and da, 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 lots of lots and lots and lots of do's and don'ts. And they say yes. And that's really cool. So Moses then goes up on the mountain again, and he's up there for a long time with God, getting more and more download, getting, hearing more and more, and, and God's, you know, just doing amazing things with, with Moses. But remember that, for, what was that first com, uh, commandment? Do not have any gods before me, for I am a jealous God. I love you. I love you. And the people had said yes, right? And this was just a little bit ago, right? So Moses is back up on the mountain, and the people are sitting around, and, you know, they're all excited for Moses to come down and give them some more words from the Lord. And isn't this cool? And we're out here camping and we're loving it. But it didn't take long, not long at all, before the people go, well, when's, when's Moses coming back? And they start grumbling. What about maybe God isn't real? Maybe this thing isn't for real. And with just a short time, we find ourselves at Exodus 32. When the people saw, this is verse 1 of Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off your golden earrings that your wives and sons and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron and he took, and they, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Can you imagine? Now remember the God back here in Exodus 20. Have no idols before me, no gods before me, for I am a jealous God, and I will bring punishment against the people who come against me and don't follow my word. But I am a merciful God. So here they are. Can you imagine? Blatant, right in front of them. Then Aaron, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. They thought they were worshiping, but they were worshiping an idol. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because of your people. Now God's calling them your people. Did you hear that, Moses? Go down to your people. They ain't mine. Because your people whom you brought out of Egypt has become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I command and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So this sounds like the judge, right? You guys, I'm, I've got your, your actions in a balance and you are wanting. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not be, bring disaster on your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will make, give your descendants all this land. I promise them. It will be their inheritance forever. Let's just pause for a moment. So this passage right here tells us that we, first of all, that God has all sorts of 
wonderful plans for us, wonderful promises for us, but he's also a just God. He is also a just God. And in the midst of our covenant, we have a portion to play out in this covenant. And when God sees that we are being unfaithful, God is consistently faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But when we become unfaithful, there has to be justice. Or he would not be a just God. He would not be holy and righteous if there's not justice. He can't be. Do you want a God that's kind of halfway? Do you want a God that kind of, you know, I don't want a God like that. I want a just God. I want a, a true and an honest God who walks in just truth and nothing else. But we have a passage here where man, Moses, was able to go into God's presence and remind God of his promises. Remind God of what he saw in these people. Remind God of what his plan was. Our prayers, O oh people of God, mean everything in the holy of holies in heaven. We can pray and believe for a change in God's heart. Let's read this right here. This is a strange, this, is a, this passage has messed with more theologians than you can imagine. But what was Moses doing? All Moses was doing was reminding God of his own words, of his own promises, of his own intent. That's why when we take the promises of God and we put them on our lips and we send them into heaven, it changes things. So the next verse there, verse 14, the most powerful words, the Lord relented and did not bring on the, his people the disaster that was threatened. He relented, relented, relented. The judgment that was due those people because they broke God's law. God relented. What does that word relent mean? You know what it means? Actually, if you look it up, it means to take a heavy sigh and change your mind. That's what God did. There's this thing called mercy. There's a thing called mercy in God's temple that though justice must be fulfilled, God's love and mercy for his people is so strong that as we pray and believe and as you take the key that opens mercy, which is the, the word repentance. Father God, the God of the universe, the God, the Holy One, will take a very deep breath and then he will be released to love you through mercy. 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 So over the next couple of chapters, you're going to read that even though repentance came, sometimes we have to walk out the results of our decision. So go ahead and read the rest of that. So there, it's not like everything was a bed of roses, but God still had mercy. And then we find in chapter 34, God revealing the depth of his character that is going to be repeated now throughout the rest of the Old Testament and it's gonna be echoed in the New Testament and this is where we're gonna to go today. So let's start at verse, uh, chapter 34, and I'm going to start with verse 1. Before I do that, I want to remind you that when Moses came down that mountain and he found the people worshiping an idol, he took the tablet of stone, those Ten Commandments, and even though the people had only broken the first one, they'd only broken one, everybody say one, he took the whole set and he threw them to the ground and they broke. And that shows us that no matter what we do, one sin, you've, you've broken all of them. You break one law, you break them all in God's eyes. 
So now we have this, we're, we're in this situation. Verse 1 of chapter 34, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. Now he's going to redo. It's like reset. And I want you to hear this. Be ready in the morning and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And for a just this very little snapshot moment, God is going to absolutely open up and part the, the, the curtains and show Moses who he is. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. Now that word is kased again. The word is mercy. So I'm going to change it here. He said, he said, the Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining mercy. That word there is mercy again. Mercy to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sins of their father to the third and fourth generation. How can God be merciful and loving and compassionate and forgiveness, yet at the same time just? But he is. It's that mystery that I told you. Humanity has a hard time. We're either all compassionate, let anybody do whatever they want. We just love, 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 love. Or humanity finds themselves on this side going, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You shouldn't be like this. That's wrong. We have an, an inability to function on both sides. But God is absolutely perfect in both. Mercy, mercy. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. Mercy in the, the dictionary is compassion and forgiveness shown by one who has the power to punish or harm. Exodus 34 reveals God's heart. Now what God had Moses do is he had him take those stone tablets and put it inside the Ark of the Covenant, if you guys remember that. And they put this Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies where God resided because God's heart is for righteousness and truth. And they made this big golden box and they had these angels and their wings that came up over the top. And underneath those wings on the top of that box is where God's presence and his Shekinah glory would fall and it would reside there. And do you know what the name of that place is? the mercy seat. The law is within the box. The law is still there. The law is, is held within the box. But on top of the box is the mercy seat. Mercy. Mercy. Judgment follows laws. But mercy always triumphs, according to James. I want you to look up Micah 2. Let me see if I still have it here. I just threw this in last minute. If you would, Micah 2. Come on, phone. No, sorry, Micah 6. God's crying out through the prophet of Micah to his people once again who have had lies, have, have walked in sin and, and are worshiping idols once again and God's calling out to them through the the prophet Micah come back what should you do what should you do come back you've broken my laws you've broken my laws and he says on verse uh, chapter uh, verse 8 uh, actually I'm gonna uh, verse 7 will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. Justice and mercy. He calls us into both sides. Act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. For you see, judgment... Though it is right, it is full of truth. When we walk in judgment, we walk in separation of relationship. 
Every time we judge somebody for their actions, because we do, we live with one another, and the laws of God are written on our hearts. We know when it's broken. We know when someone else has fallen apart and, and fallen. We know it. And when we walk in judgment, how many of you ever walked in judgment? Come on. When you walk in judgment, you're walking, you are immediately separating yourself from relationship with that person. You're immediately going, I can't. There's, there's, there's prop. I can't. <clears throat> but what does mercy do? Mercy immediately draws the person to you. It repairs relationship. It's a redemptive and res restorative action. Whereas judgment is a broken separation. And when we, people of God, walk in judgment, we are walking in a, a place where we're going to separate ourselves from humanity. We're going to separate ourselves and relationship will be broken. But Jesus calls us to be merciful. We have to be both. It's interesting that Matthew would be the one that writes about this so much. Because Matthew experienced mercy. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is a disciple, we know, and he wrote this book that we're reading out of right now. But do you know what Matthew was before he was called to be a disciple? He was a tax collector. He was like the bad guy. He was like the chase no, okay. Never mind. <laughs> not, not really. Okay, so he, he, he tells about how he made his change. So I want you to open up chap chapter 9. Let's go to verse 9. Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man called, named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. So Jesus not only calls him to hang out with him, but now he's going to go and have dinner with this guy. And many tax collectors and many sinners. Can you imagine what that room looked like? What that house was full of? Many, not just a couple, many sinners, many tax collectors. And here's Jesus right in the middle of them. And he eats with them. And, and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, so what are Pharisees really good at? Judging. They're really good at the law. They're really good to know what, what everybody's doing wrong. And they are very separated from the people because they aren't, they're, they're judging. Okay? So the tax collector says, or the, the Pharisee says, why do you, does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. What's sacrifice? Sacrifice is following the law, fulfilling every jot and tittle that's written down that I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. And if you don't do it, you're no good. If you don't live right, you're no good. If you're not the best, if you're not excellent, if you're not perfect, you're no good. That's what that message says. But Jesus says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, because you know what? The righteous are already good enough, right? At least in their own eyes. But sinners. Matthew understood mercy. Turn over to Matthew 18. I've got one more passage and we will, we will wrap this up. I've read so much of the word to you today. Is that okay? Eats up a lot of my time. It's going to be about four or five more minutes, but I'm telling you, it's going to be good. So Matthew 18 so mercy, before we read it, I need to help you to understand that mercy is a part of love. You can't have love without mercy. Mercy is a portion of love. If you love somebody, there has to be a, an, an element of mercy that has to come with it because that's what love is. Love is mercy. Mercy is love. And mercy is shown in the Bible two different ways. Two different ways. 
And I, the ADD preacher that I am, it's been really hard for me to focus, but I am going to focus on one of those. So it's just killing me to not focus on the other. There's two ways that mercy is walked out in the word. Number one is through compassion. Acts of compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion, moved with mercy, so therefore he laid hands on the leper, leper and, and healed him. Amen? So there's acts of mercy. There's acts of mercy, acts of compassion that his body, his, we are all called to, but I'm not going to preach on that. I've already preached on that a bunch of other times. I'm going to preach on the other one here. We're going to finish it up very quickly. The other way to uh, put foot leather to mercy is to forgive. Everybody say forgive forgive. And uh, so I'm going to read, actually, I'm not going to read it because we're lack of time, but the the parable that Jesus brings forth here is uh, when Peter comes up to him and he says, hey, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? How many times should I have mercy on my brother? How many times in the judge room, courtroom of my heart, when my brother sins against me and owes me a lot, how many times should I just like act like you and forgive? Do I have to do it seven times? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. I am going to read this because it's just not good if I try to not. Uh, Verse 23, I'm going to talk fast. Ready? You ready? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he cried out. I'll pay you back. And the servant's master took pity on him or mercy and canceled the debt and let him go and forgave him. But when the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he grabbed him up and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. And never could figure out how a guy in prison is going to pay off debt. Uh, uh, But he had him thrown in prison. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had been happened. And the master called the servant, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt that was yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured just until he could pay back what was owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I'd like the band to come on up and we're going to finish this out. Before the band starts playing, though, I'm going to play a little video, so just be ready. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a massive portion of mercy. And as we are, as God is in the judge, you know, the the courtroom as the judge for us, who right at the moment when he should be giving the sentence and causing us to pay for everything, Jesus steps in with his blood and God sees that blood and he says, I forgive you. And then he says, now go out and live your life. And it's your job now to not only be a a purveyor of who I am, I need you also to show mercy like I show mercy. I need you to forgive just like you have been forgiven. And he tells us through so many of these stories about how important forgiveness is. We as human beings are so good, like I said, at keeping score and watching over the books of our life of what people have done to us and how they are acting. And, oh, they're they're missing it. How could they be doing that? What's going on in that life? Oh, my word. We're so good at walking in that place. But God says, now it's time for you to walk in mercy, to forgive. And you know what? I am sure that I am looking at many people right now that you have things that are very large that you have to forgive. And you might say, I can't. Justice has to be served in this. And I can't just let it go. Justice must be held up in this. It's wrong. They hurt me. They hurt me. They owe me. Just as God could say that about us. 
and yet he forgave us. I have a video I want to show you. If you guys don't mind, just another minute here. I hope I have, I, you guys all love me. Let's run that video. This is Corey Ten Boom, and she is a wonderful lady. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing, and we had to stand. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards. In the concentration concentration camp, and that man said, "I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible, and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done, but then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness." And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then. I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either, but he can. Amen. Yes, give, yes. Let's all stand. I am calling you, the people of New Horizon, to become more and 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 more like Christ. Like God, like our Heavenly Father. And that is going to call you not only to know what is righteous and not only to know what is holy and not only know what is real and right and truth and and how to live right, but to learn that mercy triumphs over judgment. And that God calls us to be merciful. And that is as we are able to, as if in the courtroom of life, when others are standing before us and we're the ones crying out, there must be justice here. That we would be the ones just like the Father God that can intercept, intercept the brokenness of justice and say, take a deep breath, but I will forgive you. God is calling that. And it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard because they owe you, they owe you, they owe you and they were wrong and you are right. But the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts where the mercy seat is above the judgment of the law and where we find release and where we come into that moment 
when the judge looks at us and says, you are forgiven. I love you. I love you. I want you. I want it to be uh, pure and clean between us. He wants us to walk that way with our people around us. And I would love to call each and every one of you right now. Some of you have a very difficult thing to forgive right now. And it has been plaguing you for years and years and years. And I would say that your breakthrough and your release is hinging upon your ability to release this problem and let it go. Amen. I'd love for the prayer warriors to come on up. And if that's you, I want you to come on up and just let it go. Get some freedom. Get the love of God to just spread through. I want those prayer warriors to come on up, the, the altar workers, come on up right now. Also, before we leave, if you would just take a moment, maybe, maybe you're not holding on to a big grudge, but what I ask of you is that maybe you have a tendency in life to look around and judge those around you. Maybe you have a pretty harsh line that everybody has to hold around you for you to love them. I would love to say right now, let it go, let it go, and begin to be baptized with the love of God and the mercy of God in our hearts, that the love of God would be shed into our hearts. Allow mercy to triumph over judgment in the way that you look at people. Allow mercy to triumph over judgment when you see a homeless person. When you see a drug addict, when you see somebody doing something you don't agree with, allow mercy to triumph over judgment. Oh, that the body of Christ would be saturated with a spirit of God, a spirit of his heart, of love and mercy that would be one, that we would become the ones that now begin to pull people to relationship with God instead of shutting them out with judgment and with criticism. Oh, people of God, I pray. I pray for a revival of the love of God inside of us, that the word of the Lord is strong in us and that we live in mercy. For we have experienced mercy. We have experienced it. God has given us so much. He's forgiven us of so much. Just take a moment, put your hands in the air. Ask the Lord to just baptize us with his love and his mercy. Oh, his graciousness. Oh, God, erase criticalness off of our hearts. Oh, Father God, those that are standing in judgment, even of me, oh, Father God, I ask for mercy in our hearts. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will find mercy. And the Bible says so many times, and I know it's a hard word, that if we don't show mercy, we will not be shown mercy. Oh, Father God, release, release right now. Just release judgment off of you. Release judgment and criticism off of you. Let the Lord be the judge. We are the merciful ones that draw a lost world to us. We are the ones that should be dining with the sinners, not judging the sinners. Oh, Father God, revive us into your love. Revive us into who you are. Get us, allow us to do well on both sides. Oh, Jesus, 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 pray. Oh, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. And you silenced every lie. And no other. Voice.